But this morning, normally you would hear a sermon on something of a New Year resolution. Topics could include how this year can be the year of change or five tips of making better decisions in the new year. And the list can go on and go on. Now, I've tried those things many times, and many times I've failed, so I decided not to even try this morning. So, um, in my topic of what I'm going to be discussing this morning, uh, there's nothing wrong with these sermons. Uh, for some of these, they could be an odd topic. Sometimes the beginning of the year, what I'm going to be discussing, it can be an odd topic because we just celebrated Christmas last Sunday, uh, Jesus' birth. But I wanted to go base it on what uh, Jason kind of has been doing, the gifts of God. And I wanted to kind of continue with that. And um, whether it was given to me or the task was given, I took it on. Uh, I wanted to talk about the gift of communion or the gift of the Last Supper. I thought I knew a lot about the Last Supper, about communion. And I'll be explaining what it is and a little bit more in depth. But there is, I could do several sermons actually on it. Um, and this Sunday, if you're thinking of you're going to get all the answers, well, um, that's not going to happen this morning. But uh, I pray that God will speak to you this morning uh, through hopefully what he has to say through me. Now, the accounts of the Last Supper are found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and also it's talked about by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The main passage uh, we'll be reading this morning is going to be from Luke 22. Before I read that portion of Luke 22, I want to give you a little bit of a peek into what Jesus had been going through leading up to the Last Supper. Su Supper sorry. So in Luke 22, it talks about a variety of things that he was dealing with. Even before Luke 22, I know he even came in, um, Jesus came, rode in on a donkey, as a triumphal entry into the temple. And he was, uh, they laid coats down and he was praised and um, he weeped as he came in. But that kind of sets it off and it continues. And in chapter 22, I'll just give you a snippet of what was happening already, even before the meal, the Last Supper, was going to take place. And afterwards, I'll give you a little bit of it as well. What we see in chapter 22 is we see that there is a plot to kill Jesus by the chief priests and the scribes. So they always were trying to figure out how can we get Jesus, how can we set him up, what's the perfect time to kill him, to trap him. Uh, Jesus, or Judas, is already going to betray him, and it's setting up for that already. The disciples and Jesus are going to celebrate the Passover. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Then right after he institutes this, the disciples are trying to figure out, because he had mentioned earlier in the, in the passage about who Somebody was going to betray him. And they're trying to figure out amongst each other who's going to betray him. I'm sure that went very well. Uh, and then after that, the disciples argue who is the greatest. And then after that, Jesus is predicting Peter's denial. So that's all in chapter 22 of Luke. So it continues. So after this amazing, which we'll talk about this morning, amazing talking about the Passover and the Lord's Supper, I don't think... The disciples got it fully because their minds were distracted by a variety of things. And I imagine, as I was thinking about this, one can only imagine how many emotions Jesus was feeling at the time. 
when he was sitting down and about to have the Passover meal with them. How quickly things would be progressing once this supper was over. Seeing that the disciples hadn't fully understood what was going to take place within mere hours of the Last Supper. He was going to be betrayed. The disciples would leave him, deny him. He would be beaten, lied about, mocked, nailed to a cross. So that's kind of what I can only imagine what he's dealing with at that time in his life. The stress was so much, I, would, I, can, I can't imagine how much it would be. So in Luke 22, we're going to read uh, verses 7 through 13, one section, and we'll go finish it off with the, uh, another portion in a moment. But in Luke 22, 7 through 13, it reads, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will we have... Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. I want to take a minute, or I want to pause for a moment and take a step back in history. Why were they even having this Passover meal? I think you have to understand the Passover meal, at least some portion of it, to understand why they were sitting down, why they were having interaction together, but also to see why they were having the Lord's Supper as well, what later on became the Last Supper and what we call uh, communion as well. It was a gathering. I know I wanted to go over a couple slides with you this morning. Is Passover um, was and is a Jewish festival celebrating the exodus from Egypt and the Israelites' freedom from slavery to the Egyptians. Another part of Passover is one of three pilgrimages festivals in Scripture, during which during which the Jews were commanded to travel to Jerusalem and observe the feast together. The night of, first, of the first Passover was the night of the 10th plague. So if you know anything about the Jewish history or Israel, um, they moved. Joseph uh, was hanging out with the Egyptians, and all of a sudden all of the family of his family moved to Egypt. And then later on they grew and grew and grew, and they became slaves under the Egyptian rule. And so... There's disgruntled, and Moses, of course, came and f helped free them from the slavery that they were under. And this, we'll continue to understand, is why we understand the, the Lamb of God. And when we talk about the Passover Lamb, which I think is my next one. Uh, yes. The night of the, the God, well, sorry, the night before the first Passover was the tenth plague, so it was ten plagues. And God told the Israelites to sacrifice a spotless lamb and mark their door, doorposts and lintons with its blood in Exodus 12, 21 through 22. And so here we see that God has called them, if they want to live, if they want their first child, firstborn child to live, male child, they need to kill a sacrificial lamb 
a spotless sacrificial lamb, and then put blood above the doorposts. So when the angel of death, or as we see the God passes over, their firstborn son would not be killed. And at that time, of course, the Egyptians did not do that, and they lost their firstborn sons. And so that was kind of the push to get out of Israel. And then the next one is the blood of the lamb saved Israel's Israelites from death. That's what we see. So as, we, as this culminates and as we see in a moment here of what Jesus is predicting about himself and what's going to happen, uh, we see, we get a history of what the Passover means. The lamb was a sin-bearing sacrifice. The blood of the lamb, sorry, saved them, but also the blood of the lamb carried that sin, that sacrifice was carrying every time that it was killed. It was pure. Um, so since that time, there's always in, Israel's, in Israelites' history, I would say in any nation's history, you have days of remembrance. You have days that you want to remember what has happened, and you celebrate them. We, we could say July 4th for us. Um, other nations have other holidays. Uh, Boxing Day, I know, for Canadians and the British uh, but also, this is a day of remembrance instituted by God to remember and to celebrate. A lot of times they would have roasted lamb, bitter herbs, and unleavened bread, and other things of that nature uh, to commemorate, to remember what had happened, the freedom that they got from getting away from the Egyptians. And like the bitter herbs, they recalled the bitterness of slavery. That was one of the reasons. They always had symbolic meanings behind them. The lamb was that sin offering, bearing sacrifice, that allowed God to pass over the household that believed. And so they were spared if they had done that. So hopefully this will give you a little more understanding about Passover and the symbolism behind it. There's always some form of symbolism. If we look in the Bible, there's always a reason why something is happening. What happened in the past is a reflection of maybe might happen in the future, but also when the Israelites celebrated these um, festivals, there's always something that how God provided, how God took care of them, but then also how we need to remember. Because I don't know about you and me, but we have a tendency to forget. We forget what has happened in our past, and we need to remember. Just like the Israelites took these times and God said, you need to remember. You need to remember these things. You need to celebrate these um, things, how I, how I got you out of slavery, how I took care of you, because they had a tendency, just like we, to forget. And so in Luke 22, it gives us a little bit more backdrop of what we've been discussing this morning. Uh, verse 14 through 20, it reads, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until I, it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and he, and he gave, had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, 
after he had, they had eaten, saying, This is the cup. This, this cup is that poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. And so they were told to remember. We are told to remember. Why, why should we remember? One, because God tells us to remember. But also, I think part of it was he told the disciples to remember, but also he told them to participate. If you think of communion, a lot of times we do reflect, and that's a good thing, and we'll discuss that a little more. We need to reflect about our own lives and also what Jesus did. But we have to be a participant, I believe, as well, because Jesus Christ was a participant in the whole thing. And I think he's called us. Why would he, I always think, why would he tell us to remember if he didn't have something to remember? So we need to remember what he had said there. Do this in remembrance of me. Because I still think, I still think and wonder, I don't think the disciples still didn't get it at that time. Because they went about their business. Right after that, they went about who's the greatest, you know, no, no, we don't want anything to do it. All of a sudden, Jesus is arrested. They all deny him. They all scatter everything. I don't think they really got it until we see it in the book of Acts. But we are told to remember too. And so, so we will not forget what God has done through Jesus Christ. And so there's two symbols. There's a, there's a symbolism of bread, and then there's a symbolism of the cup. And in Luke 19, 22, 19, it says, and he took bread and he gave thanks. He had given thanks. Once he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, Jesus' body symbolizes, um, well, the bread, sorry, going back one. The body symbolizes, sorry, the bread symbolizes his body. Also, if we continue down there, that path is when we eat the bread, we should remember what, we, what he went through for us. If you can imagine what he went through. He was broken. He was beaten. Hardly recognizable. So if you, kind of, if you ever read the story, I encourage you to read the story of when he was uh, persecuted. Of when they were mocking him, slapping him, beating him. And as we eat the bread, we should remember what they did to his body as we recognize and, and pray and thank him for what he's done. Now, I know in some churches, the bread and the cup, some believe that when we do celebrate them, they become the actual bread and, or his body and his real blood. Um, I don't really believe that. I, be, I believe there's a symbol. They're symbolizing his body. They're symbolizing his blood. Um, in ver- in the cup is in verse uh, 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, 25. And, the, and it says in verse 25, it says, In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This reminds us that his shed blood on the cross is to take away our sins. So he died on the cross for taking away all of our sins, not just some. I have a quote from Spurgeon. It says, His blood was shed for many. In that large word, many, let us exceedingly rejoice. Christ's blood was not shed for the handful of apostles alone. 
There were but 11 of them who really partook of the blood symbolized by the cup. The Savior does not say, this is my blood which is shed for you, the favored 11, but shed for many. So as we continue to remember what the Lord's Supper and what is communion, let us remember it was for us as believers. It wasn't just for a hand-picked certain point of people. It was us if we decide to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and believe that he was raised from the dead. Then we can partake and then we can celebrate and we can have freedom in that. But it talks about in the New Testament here, it talks about this new covenant because of his blood. And so there's an old covenant. There has to be, if there's a new covenant, there has to be an old covenant. And the old covenant required blood sacrifices, but it could not offer the final sacrifice for sin. It required repeated daily sacrifices for, of animals as a reminder of people's sin. So it was a constant reminder of their sin, but also they had to do it repeatedly. These sacrifices were done day after day, month after month, year after year. The new covenant. The new covenant is based on faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ to take away our sin. As we sang the song, Lamb of God, Jesus Christ has become our Lamb of God. He is the Passover Lamb. So there's always, Jesus is always connecting things. He's always making sure, hopefully, that he will repeat it and repeat it, trying to help the disciples and even us to understand. And there's always connections. There's always symbolism in the Bible. And this is another example that talking about the Holy Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ, he is our Passover lamb. Just like how the Passover lamb, how the lamb saved, the blood of the lamb saved the Israelites, Jesus Christ's blood saves us from ourselves, from our sin, if we put our trust and our faith in him and what he's done. His one-time sacrifice sacrifice atones or covers for all the sins of all who believe in him. We partake of Jesus by coming by faith, to faith by him, or to him by faith, trusting that his shed blood and broken body is sufficient, sufficient to pay for our sins. So nothing else will pay for our sins except for his broken body and his blood. You can't do enough to do that. Only through him is that possible. A couple of other last points I want to, it might be a very quick, well, quicker morning than this morning, is a couple of last points I want to share with you about communion, if you didn't know. Uh, the practice of communion and baptism are the two ordinances in the church. Things that we should do on a regular basis. I know I've been to a church, churches that celebrate communion or Last Supper every Sunday. So every Sunday would, they would celebrate that. Some, like this church, do it every month, beginning of the month. Others do bi-monthly. Um, so there's no, in the Bible, it doesn't say whether you should do it one time a week, four times a week, or, or whatnot. It doesn't say that at all. But it does say that we should be doing it. We should be reflecting. We should be remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so communion is, and I left on your little sermon or notes or whatnot, there was just so much that I couldn't figure out how to put it on 
piece of paper for you and for it to fit on your piece of paper that you have. But I wanted to go uh, mention a couple things, what communion is. It's a time of reflection. A time of reflection. A reflection of where we're at with God and where he's, what he's done for us. Also, it's a reflection of our own sins and the need of forgiveness, but also it re- we remind it and re- reflect on the grace and love that Christ exhibited on the cross. So the tendency, I think, sometimes as we come to communion is to just look at the one side of beating ourselves down, of looking at our sins and saying, I'm a horrible person. I can never, ever repay God for that. And this is true. But I think a lot of times we forget to go the opposite way too and remember about his grace and his love for us and that he's died for us and that he rose again. And we have to balance that out. I think sometimes we, we beat ourselves up so much that we forget about that forgiveness. But also we have to reflect. Yes, we do have to reflect on our sins. That is a time where we need to be focused in on that. But we also have to remember the time where there's grace and there's love and there's forgiveness. Another one, communion is, as Christians take communion, uh, together we demonstrate our union with each other and with Christ. There's fellowship, there's a connection, there's a point where we have communion together. We have the Last Supper together, but we have that union because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and his blood that was shed for us, that we can now celebrate together the Lord's Supper. And we can have that fellowship. Unbelievers, we would say, would not have that opportunity to have that fellowship together. But we have that, and I think we should celebrate that. I know it's a somber moment. I know it's a a point of reflection. But also, I think it's a point of celebration. I don't think we should be, um, I'm not saying jumping up and down, I say that? Um, But also I think we should be realizing the joy and the expression of what he did for us, but we should realize that we have a relationship with him, that we can celebrate that because of what he did. And then I have another quote is, this is how we fellowship with Jesus, because his redemption has reconciled us to God. We can now sit down to a meal with Jesus and enjoy each other's company. Another reason why we partake in communion is we should partake because it's reverence, out of reverence, out of love, out of a deep sense of gratitude for the Lord Jesus, who was willing to die on the cross to take upon, that he took upon himself for our sins. And one of my last thoughts on, on communion is it's a time to look forward when he will partake with us in the kingdom of, of heaven. In verse 18, it says, For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so, as he's sitting there with his disciples, and as they part, are partaking of the bread and the cup, that was the last meal before he went to the cross. And, I re- and, they, and as I, I learned something very poignant, I think, is, the next time that he'll have that meal will be with us. We'll sit down, we'll hang out with him. 
I find that cool. So my question is, so why do you take time to remember? What's the point of us coming here in a moment we're going to be celebrating, we're going to be reflecting, but why do you do it? Why do you do it? Do you do it out of, just out of habit because you do it because that's what everyone else is doing? I don't think that's the right issue or right reason to do it. Do you do it because you used to do it as a child and I think it's right or covers, hopefully it will cover me, hopefully I got it right this time. If I do enough communions, that will cancel out all my sins. Or are you doing it because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You know what he's did, done for you. And you want to celebrate that. You want to reflect on that. You want to give praise and gratitude to the Lord Jesus. And so I think sometimes in those times, we do it very quickly. I remember sometimes growing up as a child, I didn't understand it. I took it, I was a Christian, but I didn't fully understand it until I understood as I got older. I didn't fully understand it until I got older what really happened and how much freedom we can have when we celebrate this as well. Because I think sometimes we are so, we come in through the doors and we're, we're burdened down by our sin. And just like the Israelites in the Passover, they were freed from slavery. Jesus Christ can free you from your slavery too. So, in conclusion... In a moment, we're going to participate in communion. I want us to celebrate, and I want us to reflect on what Jesus Christ has done in your life. And if he hasn't, you feel like he hasn't done anything in your life, I'd love to talk to you, and and we'll talk about it. Or you feel uncomfortable taking it, I'd love to talk to you. If you feel like you're unworthy, well, you got to take that up with God. But I'd love to talk to you, too. Um, But let's celebrate this morning the gift of communion. Amen.
So we're going to be uh, partaking of the bread first, uh, and Ralph is going to pray for the bread. Pray with me, please. Oh, Father God, we're so grateful for what you have done for us. Every time the whip struck you, that was our penalty that should have been. Every time you were slapped and abused, it should have been us that should have paid that price. Every time a nail pierced your skin, that should have been us that were, our skin was pierced. And most of all, Father, when you were rejected, it should have been us that was rejected. Father, we're just so grateful for your amazing love, your amazing grace, that you loved us so much that you would take that penalty for us. Amen. In Matthew 26, 26, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Please take. And now we'll have a prayer for the cup by Larry. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. We pray for our fellowship of Christians who are gathered here to remember Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, which washed away our sins. As we take this juice as a tangible reminder of his shed blood, we thank you for the new covenant that enables us to spend eternity with you. Again, thank you for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Remember your grace in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In Matthew 26, 27 through 29, it reads, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. But until that day, let us drink. And so now we're going to be, as it says in Matthew 26, verse 30, after they had done, um, celebrated the Lord's Supper, they sung a hymn. And so we we are going to be singing a hymn. And so, um, yes. (laughs) 